If you weren't here last week, you're catching us in the middle of this series called Found, right? Uh, And we're in week two. It's kind of a shorter series, a three-week series, and this is week two of that series. And so if you weren't here last week or if you just need a refresher, we'll go ahead and add a little bit to that video and give you a refresher on last week. If you look at, if you were here last week, you remember we talked about um, the parable of the lost sheep, right? In Luke 15, that's kind of going to be where we camp out today. So if you have your Bibles, go ahead and, you know, gradually get there uh, as I kind of give us a recap. But in, in Luke 15, you see in the first verse, uh, first two verses rather, that there's two groups of people here. You have sinners and tax collectors, and then you have Pharisees and scribes, right? And they're all congregating around this guy named Jesus. And Jesus sits down and he starts to tell them a story or a parable. Um, the definition of a parable is literally an earthly story with a heavenly meaning. That's all a parable is. So it's just a story that Jesus is using to get his point across. And in this parable, Jesus says there's a shepherd uh, with a hundred sheep, right? And one of those sheep goes astray. And the shepherd being a good shepherd, leaves the 99 sheep and goes back and gets the one. And goes back and gets the one. And for us, that might not make a lot of sense, right? Why would you leave 99 sheep and go get one sheep? Um, But really and truly, that was their livelihood. And that was what they had to make money. So any hit they took was a hit that they took financially. So it makes sense that he goes out and he seeks after uh, this sheep. But not only does he seek after this sheep, he... He doesn't get a leash, right? He doesn't like guide the sheep home or hit it with a stick. He literally picks the sheep up and takes the sheep back to where it needs to be. And then from there, he goes and he calls his uh, friends. He says, hey, come on, come over. Let's celebrate. Let's celebrate the fact that I found the sheep. Let's celebrate the fact that there's no hit taken uh, because this is a big deal. So come over and let's, let's throw a little party. Um, but like I said, there was two groups of people that are listening to this story. And I think this is interesting because last week, really and truly, I think our focus was on one of those groups of people. And I think it was on uh, the sinners and the tax collectors, right? And we're going to get into that a little bit more. But this week, I think we're going to be focusing a lot more on the Pharisees. And we're going to see how the Pharisees, as an audience, relate to this story. But what I love about the sinners and tax collectors last week being around Jesus is... Um, that they were not like him, right? And one of the things that Andy Stanley says, uh, that I don't know if Eddie quoted last week or not, but one of the things that he says is that people who weren't like Jesus liked Jesus, right? What a, what a cool thing. People who weren't like Jesus liked Jesus. And so that's like, I wonder if we can say the same thing about us, right? I wonder if, if we're off-putting or if people that aren't like Jesus can stand or tolerate to be around us because of the grace and the love that we extend like Jesus did. And so last week... Um, our big idea was that when something valuable, that was something is valuable to us, we can't focus on anything else until it's found, right? That shepherd could not focus on anything else until he found that sheep. And then the big takeaway last week was that when it is found, it brings joy to the one who did the finding, right? We saw that the shepherd couldn't focus on anything else until he found the sheep. And then when he found the sheep, it brought him a ton of joy to be able to find that sheep. So that was kind of our recap um, for last week, and, and we're going to dive on into this week. So if you got your Bibles, go ahead and go to Luke 15, uh, verse 8 through 10. And like I said, we're going to be kind of focusing on the Pharisees this week, right? And I'll explain that, and we'll go a little bit more in depth. But if you have your Bibles, Luke 15, 8 through 10, it'll be on the screen. But if it doesn't look like it does in your Bible on the screen, that's because we're reading out of the Christian Standard Bible. Um, so if you have a tablet and you want to like follow along word for word, go ahead and click over to that. But I'm going to read this, this text, and then we're going to pray, and we're going to dive in, okay? 
So this is Luke 15, 8 through 10. Jesus just gets done with um, his first parable story, and then he just, hey, I got a captive audience. I'm going to keep rolling. I'm going to dive right in. And so he transitions to this new story, and he says, or what woman who has 10 silver coins, if she loses one coin, does not light a lamp, sweep the house, and search carefully until she finds it. When she finds it, she calls her friends and neighbors together saying, rejoice with me because I have found the silver coin I lost. I tell you, in the same way, there is joy in the presence of God, of God's angels over one sinner who repents. So let's go ahead and pray. Jesus, thank you so much for today. Thank you um, that you took the time to spend with people like us, Father. Um, people who were broken, people who needed healing, people who needed uh, a Savior. And thank you, Father, that you spent time with people who didn't think they needed a Savior, uh, the people that thought they had it all figured out. Um, it's just, it shows us how much grace you extend uh, to people in general, not just certain people. And we're so grateful for that. I pray that this morning, you would just prepare our hearts uh, for the word that you've got for us. I pray that you would allow us to dig in and, and really see the message that you're trying to convey to your people. We love you. You're so grateful for you. In Jesus' name, amen. So I want to show you why I think there was two different parables for two different people here, right? Um, when you get to the first one, we have the sheep. And we talked about the sheep. But I imagine on some level, when that sheep was lost, there was probably a moment of, oh crap, I'm lost, right? That sheep probably had some recognition of, hey, we're safe together, and so I'm not always having to sweat animals trying to eat me, but right now I'm not together. So I'm starting to sweat a little bit of different animals trying to eat me. And so for the sheep, there was probably this moment of, hey, I'm out here on my own, and I could really use some shepherding. I could really use some saving. And, and I think that is exactly what's going on with the sinners and the tax collectors. I think that is exactly... Um, while he, why he told this first parable to this first audience because they're sitting there and they, are, they too are in recognition of their need for something else, their need for saving, their need for protection. Um, there's this void in their life that they understand but they don't know how to fill. And so I think that's why he tells this first story, the first parable about the sheep and, and because I think he's strictly talking to uh, the sinners and the tax collectors. But then we're going to shift to this, this new story, right? This new parable that he's telling and it's about a woman and a coin. And completely unlike the sheep, this coin is an inanimate object, right? It, is, it can't do anything. It does not think. It does not have feelings. It is just a coin. It has no idea it's lost. Uh, it has no ability to know that it's lost or think that it's lost. It is just a coin. And I think that that's why he tells the story second, because he still understands, hey, the Pharisees are listening too. And as much as they might like to think that they were the religious elites uh, in the group, in the audience... I think Jesus' whole point in telling this story is, hey, you have no idea you're lost, but you still need being found, right? You, you have no idea that there's something you're missing, but you still need seeking out. You still need rescuing. And so uh, I wonder, too, how many of us, like, have those interactions every day, right? I wonder how many of us sit in the room and in our workplace or when we're having fun, we're playing together with different people. We sit there, and in one side... We have people who, who understand eternity and, and who are secure in Jesus. And then on the other side of the room, we have people and friends that have no clue what's going on. They have no clue um, what they're missing. And some of this group over here, right, they understand, hey, I, I have a need, I have a void, and I need it filled. But then on the other hand, a lot of those people over here could be like us, 
right? We check the box, and we're really good at checking the box every Sunday. And we show up, and we do the thing, um, and, and we, we, we go all the, all the Bible studies, and we do all the small groups, and we do all the serving, um, but we still don't get it, right? We think we have it figured out, but then our actions speak otherwise. And, and so I think it's, if we're honest and we reflect that we have people on both sides of the fence here, and, and on a regular basis, we're interacting with these people, but here's the good news. The good news is that both the sheep and the coin were valuable to the owner, right? Both things, regardless of their awareness at being lost, both things were completely valuable um, to the owner. And so I think if you, if, you, if you let me give you an example of how things can be valuable and, and this idea of looking for something and not being able to do anything else until you find it, um, I remember back to a moment in my life and... and <laughs> My wife can echo this, and my friend Cody can also probably echo this, and my mother-in-law, who's also in the room, can probably also echo this. But when it comes to my life, there are many things lost. Like, it, is, it was not hard for me whenever we were talking about this in the communicators meeting to say, hey, let's look for an illustration of something you lost. I'm like, hey, guys, I actually don't have any idea where my keys are currently, right? Like, you could pick any week at any point in my life, and there's probably something um, that I could have used as an illustration here to show you um, the value in something lost. But when I was thinking about this, um, a certain story came to mind. And, and I think uh, the reason this certain story came to mind is because, yes, we lose things, but we don't really value everything that's lost, right? We lose things a lot. People lose things a lot, or I'll, I lose things a lot, right? But I don't value everything that I lost. For example, if I were to lose a dollar, you know, I would sweat that for about 30 seconds and I would be like, crap, I'll just have to get another one somewhere else at some other point. Or, you know, the pay period's coming in two weeks, I'll just wait for that dollar some other time, right? But when I think about this and I think about the emphasis that Jesus is putting um, on the value of things, I thought back to a story and I was like, man, what is something that I have lost that I couldn't replace? as an American, that I couldn't just go work another 40-hour shift or whatever and just completely replace so that that anxiety was gone. And I don't know if you were, um, some of you were alive. Not, not everybody was alive in 06. I'm saying that, and I'm like the 25-year-old in the room. So there are some of you that are younger that were not alive in 06, maybe. I don't know. Uh, or you were, and, and you were still in diapers, whatever. But in 06, I believe it was, um, as a central Floridian, we had four hurricanes come through in like two weeks. Right, Charlie, and that's really the only one I can remember um, because that was the one that like freaked us out the most. But they were all anywhere between a Cat 2 and a Cat 4. And I remember when Charlie came through, um, this was the one that my dad, as like a native Floridian, been there his whole life, was like, hey, no, we got to put the plywood up. Like, we got to cover the windows. And I'm like, oh my gosh, dad's freaking out. If dad's freaking out, then I should freak out. Um, we, should, we should like do things. Like, we should save ourselves from uh, the hurricane that's coming. And uh, so we start boarding the house up and we get everything ready and dad's walking outside. Uh, and here's a good life lesson, side note. If you're not proactive, generally you have to be reactive, right? So we weren't proactive. So we're boarding up the, in the middle of the storm instead of prior to the storm, right? We're being reactive. Um, that was for free. You guys can keep that. So dad is being reactive and we're taking the plywood out and we're trying to cover all the windows. And as he goes out the door, we have an English setter named Panda. She was black and white. I know you're like, Panda's not a dog? Yeah, that's great. Um, but she was black and white. And so... She hated lightning. Like, thunderstorms, not her thing. She would bolt. I don't know if any of you can relate to that with a dog who also hates storms. Um, 
But Dad opens the door to go outside and nail a piece of plywood up. Thunder cracks. Boom. Panda is off like a rocket. And she goes running out the door. And we had just lost our other dog a few months prior. So this is like the pride and joy of the house right now. We're like, we're still in that emotional moment where it's like, this is all we got left. Like, we need to love her. And so we're freaking out. Uh, because she takes off, and when she takes off, she doesn't always like to come back, right? She likes to go um, and play in the lake or do whatever, but at this point, she's not running for the fun of it. She's running because she's freaking out, and so we go outside running after her, and dad says, I'll go down the road this way. You go down the road this way, and I remember, I don't remember how old I was in 2006, but I was young, and I remember as a young kid freaking out and being like, holy cow, like, this is something we can't just replace. Like, we're not, we're sure we can go get another dog, but we can't get this dog. This dog has a certain value to us. And so we did whatever it took in that moment to go find Panda. We did whatever it took. Uh, we, we left the house in the middle of a Cat 4, right? So we're like, I skimboard in a Cat 4. Okay, but this was a big one. So we like left the house in a Cat 4 hurricane and we're taking off down separate sides of the road and he's screaming and shouting out his car window and I'm like barefoot running down um, the dirt road the other direction, screaming, my heart's racing, I'm trying to figure it out. At at one point, I remember a gust of wind literally picking me up off my little 100-pound feet, I think probably soaking wet at that point in my life, um, and, and, and putting me back down but I didn't turn around and run home. I kept pursuing the dog because the dog was valuable to me. I kept looking for uh, the thing that I couldn't replace, right? Because the dog was so valuable to me and my dad, it didn't matter what was going on around us. Our focus was strictly and completely on pursuing the thing that had value to us that we had lost. And uh, I think the same is true of God, and I think that's the point that Jesus is trying to get across here, right? I think the whole point in Jesus telling this parable um, is that God values the loss being found. God values the loss being found. In that moment, in the moment of the, in the illustration of the coin, in the illustration of the sheep, God's trying to show us, and Jesus is trying to show us, hey, I value this lost thing being found. Um, but as Americans, right, we get back to this money example, and I think that really with this coin parable, it's kind of hard for us to understand. It can be hard for us to, to get our minds around because a coin is a coin, and like I said, we're one of the, we are privileged in that we are one of the richest economies uh, in the world when you look at a lot of the stuff going on around us. And so it would not be hard for us to go and say, hey, in two weeks, you know what, I'll replace that coin and it'll be no big deal. Um, but I think there's more going on to this lost coin than what Jesus is telling us. And I think that's because we have to understand the world Jesus is living in, right? And so I think there's two, two things that are going on here that, that could be going on. The first one uh, is that this coin in Jewish custom, uh, when, when you got married, when a woman got married, she had a headband, and that headband had 10 coins on it, right? And this was one of those coins. And so it's kind of like the engagement ring. Like, <laughs> if there's anything valuable that we can think about losing, right, that has some sentimental value that uh, women you might freak out about a little bit, um, yeah, we should probably freak out a little bit too, but you know, maybe we don't as much. But women with your engagement ring or, or your wedding ring, it's valuable, right? When you lose that, you start to panic a little bit. You start to freak out because it's expensive. And not only is it expensive, but it's the ring you were given, right? It has some sentimental value attached to it too. And so uh, that could have been definitely one of the things that Jesus was alluding to with this coin. The other thing that Jesus could have been alluding to with this coin was a wage, right? A dowry. And so what would happen is when a woman got married in this culture, 
her and the husband would come together, but she would have these 10 pieces or whatever that were hers. And so if they were to get separated, it wasn't like this 50-50, let's go to court. It was like, hey, those 10 that you brought in, those are the 10 that you're bringing out and nothing more, right? So that it, whether he died or whether they separated, whatever, that's how this worked. And so the other thing uh, that, that could have been so sentimental to her is this idea that it was her wage. It was the only keep that she had for herself in the relationship if something were to go wrong. And so that's why uh, the panic starts to set in a little bit. So those are the two things. And, and I, I really and truly, I, I like the first one the most. I like the first one the most because of the large amount of sentiment uh, that's attached to it. And, and that's why I used my dog as an example, uh, regardless of how many different examples I could have used. But I think that what we find out here is how much value she had for the coin. And, and I think the passion and energy that we exert to find something really shows the value that we place on that thing, right? The passion and the energy that we exert to find something lost really shows the value that we're truly placing on that thing. Um, and so if that's true, how much more should I be seeking out the people that God values, right? If that's true, if that's a reality that that the diligence that you seek after something you've lost with is a direct reflection of how much you care about that thing, then how much more should we be seeking out the people that God values? Because when we look at this parable, there's two different parties and they're completely different, but God values them enough to both, uh, to relate to both of them, right? There's no difference, there's no distinction. And, and if, I can, if I can picture a group of people that Jesus was ever frustrated with, right, that Jesus was ever angry with, it would be the Pharisees, right? It would be the scribes. It would be these religious elites um, that were constantly slandering him, that constantly thought they knew more than him. But yet those are the people that he's still extending grace to. Those are the people that he's showing us um, he still values. And so I think that sharing your faith is correlated to your value for the lost. I think in a lot of ways, how we are with the gospel, how we handle the gospel, how we handle relationships I think in a lot of ways that shows us the value that we have for those people that we engage on a regular basis. It shows the value that we have for the lostness that's around us um, every single day. And I wonder if the reason that we don't share the gospel is because we really don't value um, the lost. And I think in a lot of ways our culture is very much reflective of a what can you do for me, right? Like, like, instead of me valuing you for the intrinsic value that God's given you, I value you because of what you can do for me. Let me give you an example of this. Um, my friend gets a discount at the retail store. Yeah, they ticked me off, but I know if I do something to, to hurt that relationship, then I'm going to lose the discount. Or, or I have a friend who's really handy um, with mechanical things, right? But if I tick him off, I got to take it to an auto body shop and I got to pay an arm and a leg for them to get to do what I know that he would be willing to do and maybe I abuse for free, right? And so in a lot of ways, our culture is not a matter of how do I value you, but how does your value affect me, right? How does your value affect me? And I think, <laughs> I was thinking about this and this is where I'm going to call myself out a little bit um, because I was thinking about this and I was like, you know, that's a good word, AJ, there's probably some people in your life that value, that value you like that. And then I had to stop and I was like, wait a minute, that's not the point here. And, and if we're not careful, that's the trap that we can fall into when I say that, right? We can start to think about how many people in our lives value us for certain things instead of doing the right thing and properly reflecting and saying, how am I valuing other people improperly, right? So try to fight that urge. Fight that urge uh, to say, how 
do other people value me? How am I being abused in a relationship? And, and really and truly try to reflect on the people that you might not be valuing for the right reasons. Because at the end of the day, um, if we're sitting in this room and we have a relationship with Jesus, then that burden's not on them. That burden's on us, right? That burden is on us to value them well, to value them um, the right way. But let's keep looking at the passage because there's one more thing that I really want us to see um, in this passage. And there's one more thing um, that I think gives us a glimpse of what Jesus is trying to communicate. So verse 10, it says, I tell you in the same way, there's joy in the presence of God's angels over one sinner who repents, right? Um, there's, pres- there's joy in the presence of God's angels over one sinner who repents. Who is in the presence of God's angels? God is in the presence of God's angels, right? And so I think Jesus is communicating here is, when you do your job, when you value lost people, when you see the fruit of valuing lost people, when you share the gospel with lost people, and they come to repentance, God values that. God doesn't just value that, but God literally, like the text says right there, he rejoices, right? And I think the beautiful thing about this is that, like, no matter... Whether or not somebody else sees the value in that, no matter whether or not somebody else understands what's going on, um, that doesn't mean that it isn't valuable or it isn't worth finding, right? No matter whether or not somebody else sees the value in you investing and pouring and loving into, um, like maybe our friends that don't know Jesus or maybe our, work, our workplace that doesn't have a relationship with Jesus, when they don't see that thing, they don't see the value that you see in somebody else, that doesn't make it less valuable, Right? Their ignorance to the value of it doesn't make it less valuable. And I think that at the end of the day, God's the one putting value on that. And that's where our focus and our energy should be because um, who more to please than God himself? I think one of, the favorite, one of my favorite passages um, in the Bible, and I shared it with our students a ton this week because so often our kids struggle with identity and this idea of approval. Um, but I don't want to separate them too much from us because I think we're the same way. But it's Galatians 1.10. And uh, it, Paul's writing to the Galatian church and he says, Am I seeking the approval of man or of God? If I were still seeking the approval of man, I wouldn't be a servant to Christ. Right? And so he's saying, hey, everything else falls to the wayside whenever our priorities are focused properly, whenever we reflect the thing that we should be reflecting. Uh, and that's the value that God gives people um, because we're made in his creation, right? Because we are, uh, um, we're treasure to him. He loves us. We are the equivalent of that coin, of that sheep to God. And so um, I think that when we do that, when we, when we take that properly and when we love people well and, and when, we, when we love our community well, that you're going you're gonna to see reflected in your own life the same thing that Jesus is reflecting here, right? The same thing that he's saying God reflects and that there's joy found in the finding. That there's joy found in the finding because that's what's happening, right? Jesus is excited. He's passionate. He's pumped to the point where he's literally throwing a party in heaven when that sinner comes to repentance, and so he's showing this joy, and I think a lot of us miss that joy because we don't do that. But I think if we do do that and we step out of our comfort zone a little bit, we'll start to experience that joy that, that God's experiencing whenever that happens. Because we get to play a role in that, right? Our obedience plays a role in that. And so that's going to be kind of our takeaway today. The joy is found uh, in the finding. The joy is found in the finding. And so I, I don't want you to miss that because being part of the church, right, being part of or being in a relationship with God, being in a relationship with Jesus, there's so, many, there's so many cool things that we get to tap into outside of, hey, you don't have to go to hell, right? Like, that's great, and I get that. Um, but there's so many more cool things that come with loving Jesus, and I think this is one of those things 
to not miss out on the joy that comes from loving people well. And I think that this joy and this heart is the thing that should drive us to have hard conversations with family members, right? This joy is the thing that should drive us to have the hard conversation with coworkers, right? Have the hard conversation with people that we know and we love and we respect, um, but we're timid around because we don't want to lose the value that they bring us, right? And so... Putting those things aside, I think that um, it's the joy that we get to find in that and the joy that God finds in that that should remain our primary focus, that should stay in front of us um, on a regular basis. And, and if we're honest, right, none of us work in a bubble, none of us live in a bubble, and so these opportunities come daily. The opportunity for us to find value in people, to see value in people, and to act on the value that we see in people comes daily. Every day you walk out your front door. Every day you go into your workplace. Every day you go play and you have fun with certain friends. It's an opportunity to invest uh, and to love on. Because at the end of the day, the value that they're currently bringing, bringing you, right, does not measure up to the thing that they're going to miss out on um, if you refuse to have a hard conversation, if you refuse to love them well. Um, so that's going to be kind of where I want to leave us this morning. Uh, just really straightforward um, something that we can take throughout the week and the months to come and, and a good springboard into next week's message. So I'm going to pray for us, and then the band's going to come up and lead us in worship, and then Toby is going to rock out some announcements. But let's pray. Jesus, thank you so much for today. Thank you so much um, that there is joy found in the finding, and that this, this task that you have called us to, um, that you have entrusted to us, uh, is one that we don't just get to go um, awkwardly into all the time, or, or it's just full of tough conversations, but God, that we get to find joy in watching you do your thing, watching you love people, watching you change hearts, watching you change lives. We're so grateful for that. I pray that you would um, encourage us, convict us, do what's necessary to compel us to be that in our friends' lives, in our families' lives. In Jesus' name, amen.